the Bavada at Odds podcast. My name is Seth Everett. I'm joined by the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, as we break down the latest odds in all the major sports. NFL week to week as the playoffs are upon us, we'll break down the latest odds plus the futures. It's the Bavada at Odds podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcast. Sports MLB Show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 145 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Fedorsky. And if last week your Bovada Sportsbook.com pick of the week was that Chase would not be able to effectively avoid COVID after his entire family got it. Congratulations. You cashed out. Uh, that is my kind way of saying uh, my family gave me COVID. I have been on the 10-day COVID injured list. I had to miss a wedding for it, so I was a little bit bummed about that. Uh, but come Tuesday, I am off the injured list. I'm being activated by the main roster, and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of 2022 now, knowing that at least for the next 90 days, in theory, I should not be able to get COVID again. <laughs> Got one. Congrats to Renberg. Uh, I, I assume the wedding's still went on. Yeah, the wedding went on. They crushed it. He was very appreciative that I didn't come, uh, which I understand. It's not because we're not boys. It's just, you know, if a guest has COVID, you would hope that they're going to do the right thing and not come, even though technically within the CDC guidelines, I would have been within five days. I think the, so, but, okay, yeah, that's not, I just want to congratulate your boy on getting married. Uh, Chase, don't behave like you're some sort of superhuman for the next 90 days because you've got COVID. I wouldn't say I'm going to behave like I'm a superhuman, but I think, you know, look, not that I've restricted my life, you know, any particular amount the past couple months, um, but I definitely will be much more out there and in the open, I think, feeling okay that, you know, what are the odds I get it twice? I didn't think I was going to get it the first time. You and I, in fact, were talking and bragging about how neither of us had ever gotten it. Uh, so you're going to have to carry on the baton for two of us now. But to me, the frustrating That's thing fine. is... That's fine. I will carry on as, a, as an adult. I mean, the frustrating thing for me, and, and you and I have spoken about this this week, is, you know, you have the CDC. And again, I preface this by saying, neither of us are medical experts. You're closer than False. I am. Just... Chase, again, it's, I am a medical expert. I am not a doctor. Okay. One of us is not a medical expert, um, and that's me. But it was definitely very frustrating. You know, I laid out the timeline last week of when I took the at-home test. But for those that don't remember, I took a rapid and a PCR last Friday, New Year's Eve. Took an at-home Saturday. I took two at-home Sunday. I took an at-home Tuesday. Was five for five on negative tests there. Thought I was going to be good to go. And then Wednesday, um, using the facilities in my apartment. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to this wedding tomorrow. Let me just call the testing site, just to make sure all is comatose because they still haven't given me the results, um, which is a whole separate issue with, you know, the city of New York right now. But unfortunately, there's not a whole lot that can be done. Uh, and I called, they put me on hold for about 10 minutes. And then they said, you know, we're sorry to let you know, but you tested positive, which in my mind, I was like, all right, this sucks because I'm not gonna be able to go to this wedding. But what's what it's almost like, what's the point of getting the positive PCR back? If in my case, when I was asymptomatic, I got it back on what would have been my last day of CDC mandated isolation? It's a great question. Uh, it shows to a greater issue in the country. Uh, I don't know. There's, I mean, this whole thing's fucked up. This whole virus is gone nowhere fast. If you are of the mindset that this Omicron wave is going to be the last of it, I'll break it to you here. It's not. Uh, expected to be cyclical until we have either more vaccinated people amongst us or a stronger vaccine. And you don't make stronger vaccines overnight. So get your fucking COVID shots as soon as possible for those who are not. Yeah, buckle in. We still got a long, long road ahead. Um, so that was my first case of bad news for the show. I'm going to do a bad news sandwich. Um, I'm going to do some bad news. I think, is it a good news sandwich if there's good news in the middle? 
No, I think it's a bad news sandwich because there's more bad news than good news. Um, yeah, but you don't call it a turkey sandwich, a bread sandwich with turkey in it. All right, semantics at this point. So um, the good news is for me and you, uh, the team that we will for this week be identifying as the New York Jets' little brother. Uh, Fuck that team, Chase. God damn it. They make me so fucking angry. The good news is that their season's over. I was going to say, they, they can't oh, hurt my. us. They can't hurt us anymore for the rest of the regular season. I mean, today. Can we talk about today, Chase, briefly? I know it's the baseball. Yeah, I mean, look, the QB but, sneak on third third and nine from your own three is the most embarrassing football play of all time. I um, texted my dad before the drive started. It would be a miracle not to get a safety. So I guess Joe Judge and I think alike, which means I will not be the next head coach of the Jets little brother. I just if you're the if you're the Jets little brother, aka the New York Giants, for those of you who aren't good at picking up on context clues, how do you bring Joe Judge back after the past two weeks? You're making me throw more of my thinking sauce in. You got embarrassed by bad teams. Like we were not competitive for a single second either of the past two well, weeks. Well, look, I you can't bring him back. The best example I've seen. I will for I am rooting for the team I like the most is the Los Angeles Rams of the teams remaining in the NFC. I like the Los Angeles Rams the most, and my favorite player left is Tom Brady. I will be rooting passionately for the. Do you want to take a guess what team, Chase? Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No. I will be rooting passionately for the Arizona Cardinals because philosophically. I am so impressed with their ownership group and their GM, Steve Kime, because what they did from 2017 to 2018, when they had the Arians retired, uh, I think Carson Palmer, may, they, there was a gap, they needed a quarterback. So they hire Steve Wilkes to be the, head, the new head coach. They draft Josh Rosen uh, towards the top of the first round. Just rubbing salt in the wounds for me right now. But that... After one season of that, where they ended up with the worst record in the league, they identified something was wrong and moved on from it. Now, three years into the Kingsbury-Murray era, they're in the playoffs, and they've gotten better each year. They are such a prime example for teams across the professional sports landscape to look at. When you make a mistake, it's okay to pull the plug on mistakes early. There is no fucking reason for this I mean, we lost to a team that's barely a football team. For this semblance of 53 men to come back. I almost, low. Well, I almost think Daniel Jones is going to be back now because the guy who looked the best out of this brutal six-game stretch to end the season was Daniel Jones. Just well, because, because the alternative in Glennon and Jacob Fromm was that bad. Glennon and Frommanon? So bad. They what I lo- I learned to appreciate Daniel Jones more because when I watch a Daniel Jones game, it, it, uh, he's not good. You're the, I'm gonna have to call them the Giants because I can't keep thinking. I'm just gonna have to go from the heart here. When I watch Daniel Jones play, I think, man, that's a bad NFL starting quarterback. But it's a starting quarterback. But that's a starting quarterback, and he a couple he will have a couple plays a game with him. What a nice throw by Jones. Or, that's an athletic run by Jones. He does things. From sucks. Glennon, like, I, I mean, Glennon, I have no words for my, uh, my Glennon. I, he is no words. And from, I mean, holy shit. How were they up so big on Bama? We spoke about this earlier. I mean, th- that was bad. Hope, I actually think Saquon's going to bounce back next year. I'm feeling good about the team next year. I'm already in that mood. I well, talked myself into it. There's only we room need a new to, head coach now. There's only room to go up from here. Um, hmm. But the main we thing talk I want to – about this more next week, hopefully, but hopefully we can confirm reports that aren't circulating yet. But uh, goodbye to the ghetto man. Indeed. I think him posing on the field with his family before the game uh, was all the evidence I needed. But here's my NFL question for you. Uh, the Colts – Bowed out in spectacular fashion. So Jonathan Taylor's out. Oh, again, I love race. making fun of Carson Wentz. That's not what we're going to do here. Cooper Cup, uh, the Rams lost. He didn't set any records. He's out of the MVP race. Uh, I could, think no. That's that's no 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 no. All right. Well, who's your Bavada pick for the MVP in the NFL this season? Cooper Cup. Okay, Cooper we can Cup. agree to we can agree to disagree. Cooper Cup. Look, I love Matt Stafford, 
and I said, I, I love a lot of the Rams, um, but Stafford had games this year. I actually think losing today helps the Cooper Cup MVP case because if you look at Stafford game in and game out, he was not consistent. Stafford, when the Rams are firing on, on all cylinders, they're the best team in the NFC. Yeah. When the Rams are firing on all cylinders, they're the best team in the NFL. I'll have that argument with anyone at any time. Uh, but Stafford's not consistent. Cooper Cup had the best receiving season of ever. No question about it. He had the single best receiving season. And who are you? Are you going to say Aaron Rodgers or are you going to be one of those Joe Burrow guys? Um, I'm actually not going to go either. Uh, I think Burrow deserves I have one other one. I think mm-hmm. Burrow deserves it the most. I think Rodgers has had... Rodgers is going to get it, but he has a, had a worse season than The biggest year, but after after looking at the final numbers, I'd give it to Tom. Tom finished the year with 5,300 yards and led the league with 41 passing touchdowns. I'd give it to Tom. The other person that isn't going to – I don't think he's going to get a single vote, and we're recording this Sunday night before the game kicks off. If Derek Carr can lead this team to the fucking playoffs – Give him MVP. Give him well, that's, MVP. Well, that's that's been Cowherd's big thing the past couple weeks. Is Derek Carr is not the MVP, but there should be some award for him for what like, he's overcome. Can we just chronicle the Raiders season? Make it quick because I do want to talk about baseball. It's not very quick. There's Pro Bowl one. Max Crosby is a recovering addict. How do we have their other defensive end? You're gonna um, Carl Nassib came out over the offseason, which again not a big deal to me, not a big deal to you, but I'm not sure how that locker room. But if the quarterback doesn't like that, that tanks a lot. Yep. Gruden gets fired. Rugs. Gruden gets fired. Rugs kills somebody. They have to cut their first round corner because he's going to kill someone on Instagram. They had another DUI. Uh, their Hall of Fame, the Raiders franchise. I, when you think Oakland Raiders, who's the first name that comes to mind? Uh, John Madden would actually be number two for me. Well, John Madden was the right answer. I think, of, I think of Bo Jackson. <laughs> Bo Jackson's a fine choice, but I was hoping you said John Madden. You did, to prove my point. And if Derek Carr can somehow lead this team to the playoffs, give him something. No, I agree. Uh, all right, so that's wrapping up our football talk. And uh, a bit of sad news that I saw right before the podcast. Bob Saget passed away today. Well, Chase, I'll tell you what. I have one question about that. Whatever happened to predictability? I didn't see this coming at all. No, I, I told you before the show. I, you know, I asked you, did you see who died? You said no. I said, all right, I'll break it to you on air. Uh, I'll just go on a quick little Saget diatribe. I mean, a guy who uh, you talk about a guy crushing a decade between Full House and America's Funniest Home Videos. He made so much money in the 90s. One of the funniest comedians I've ever seen. But when you watch his stand up, you watch him on Entourage, you watch him in these roasts. It's almost like as much of his, as much as he's recognized as a comedic genius, you almost think it went to waste in some ways because America's Funniest Home Videos uh, and Full House were as PG and as by the book as it gets. And if you listen to Saget do comedy, it is so dirty. He is so fucking funny. Um, 65 years old, Bob Saget, another uh, another comedic great. I mean, I guess it is predictable that famous people die all the time. How old was Saget? If you know, this is me receiving death in real time for those curious how I respond. 60, to 65. Not old. That's not, a, not old. Was it a... Is there a cause listed or haven't released it yet? I mean, but he literally did a stand-up show last night. Oh boy. That's not good. Yeah. So we will see, but thoughts go out to the Saget family. And uh, if you need a laugh tonight, just listen to Bob Saget at any roast or any of his stand-up sets. I promise it'll make your night. Uh, and something that made my night when it was announced. Um, oh, and- Chase, your transitions. Transitions. Well, yeah. That was an okay transition. And it's interesting because, you and I have had the pleasure of listening to David Cohn call games for the oh, S like Network yeah, yeah. for probably like close to a decade at this point. But the Bavada odds are that if you're not a Yankee fan and you don't watch games on the S Network, you've never heard Coney call a game before. Um, he's a guy that you and I have both clamored for to at a minimum be the Yankees pitching coach, maybe the Yankees manager one day. Um, but at a minimum deserved a bigger platform than the S Network. And he is getting one. Uh, ESPN announced a huge shakeup for their Sunday night baseball booth. Uh, Coney, the five-time world series champion and Cy Young award winner is joining the announcing booth for Sunday night baseball. He will serve as an analyst alongside Carl Ravitch, who will become the fourth ever play-by-play announcer by Sunday night baseball. 
Rounding out the trio uh, will be Eduardo Perez and him and Jason Benetti did the StatCast, um, which w- the StatCast broadcast was the alternate broadcast for Sunday Night Baseball. So that'll bring in some of the analytics there. But the big news is A-Rod is out and he will be joining Michael K for eight games this year on ESPN2 uh, for a K-Rod megacast similar to the Manning cast featuring Peyton and Eli Manning on ESPN. Coney's going to work a reduced yes schedule this season. Uh, Michael K explained that he will have no conflicts with the Yankees. He actually laid out what would happen if there's overlap. They'll send him to the South Street Seaport. That, you'll figure it out. Um, but to me, as a baseball fan, well, let's let's take this step by step. Let's start with the K Rod Megacast. Um, as well, soon they as need I, a new name. One, they need a new name for it. K Rod. Yes, we think of uh, Felix, Rod- Felix Rodriguez. We do not think of Chase. What was K-Rod? It's his name is Francisco. Francisco, having a brain fart. We're going to talk a lot about Chase. I I figure we'll be friends in a year from now. We've made it this far. We will talk about K-Rod a lot when he's on the ballot next year. We will talk about him a lot, especially Um, as Wagner's vote total goes up. Yes. So the K-Rod, this to me is going to be – We call it the Rod K? No, the K-Rod is going to instantly become the most polarizing broadcast in baseball because A-Rod and Michael K, we love A-Rod because he's A-Rod. I think Michael K is great at his job, but there's a lot of people who despise him. Uh, this is going to be one of those things that if you're from New York, you're going to probably love it. And if not, you're going to think this is absolutely insufferable. I can't wait. I, I'm ecstatic. I love it. I actually, I love A-Rod, but he is so bad at calling baseball. Well, and I think this will be a good transition for him where A-Rod could just kind of be like a schmoozy self, kind of like he is when he's a guest on Shark Tank and just talk <laughs> to people and be natural. And I think that was the biggest complaint about A-Rod. What is it just felt so rigid and forced when he was calling baseball games? Oh, he was making so much – look, self-deprecating humor, it's good. I thrive um, on it. It's my largest type of humor that I rely on on a day-to-day basis. Uh, yeah, no, a- the A-Rod self-deprecation on these broadcasts got to a point where it's like, okay, A-Rod, we, we, we get it. Call the game, please. But in this re- informal setting, I can't believe Kay signed on for this mayor. I think if you're Michael Kay, look, it's only eight games a year, and it's it's just another big platform for him. Oh, I didn't realize it was only eight games. It's only eight games a year. Oh, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's fine. That's good. Okay. 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 But, but let's talk about the main booth itself. Uh, what a the trio. Main great. What a trio. I mean, Coney, you get the former player's perspective. So much personality as we've seen. I mean, I, I have a vivid image of Coney just ripping heaters um, in the <laughs> in the commentary booth. Uh, Carl Ravitch, so well-versed. Been with ESPN forever. Can, uh, I, big- can, can I throw something back on Carl Ravitch? I want to say... Carl Ravage, the voice of the Little League World Series. Am I making this up or for a while, or is it you, friend of the show, Sam Cooperman, and Carl Ravage as the last three people on earth who had the dial back tone of Nanita? Yeah, I'm trying to think who told me that. It was probably Coop. No, I don't. I think it was, uh, I think Nick Cafardo, who worked for ESPN, Father Ben Hall, famous by sports writer, actually told me that when I spoke to him on the phone. Uh, but Ravage, so great, so well-versed. And Eduardo Perez, I mean, this is a guy, you know, again, I think he's going to be the kind of even-keeled one in the booth. You know, I know three-man booth t- three booths are generally tough, but I think these three guys will really complement each other war- well. And Perez, I mean, I baseball, like Perez. baseball families, father, obviously, the Hall of Famer for the Big Red Machine. Uh, and on top of that, this guy is interviewed for big league jobs over the past couple of years. So he's obviously well-respected in the game. Uh, and you and I both had the same take. We just hope this is a stepping stone for Coney to get into coaching, maybe as a manager one day. Well, that was going to be my question. Does this help both Perez and Cone eventually find their way into dugout? I think people are more open to Eduardo Perez. Um, and I think part of that is because he's a little bit younger than Coney. He's Latin American and bilingual, which as Chase, we know is huge. I'm gonna, Chase, can I give a I'm, I, I don't think baseball owners give a shit about it old managers look at who look at who's in the playoffs last year no i i agree with you dusty dusty and la Russa are still managing my Buck point Shorten is i think i think their perez is more of a desirable candidate at the moment than coney so i think it'll help perez more than coney but you know i think for getting your foot in the door it'll certainly help david cone 
Uh, really looking forward to this booth, though. I was ecstatic with the announcement and an announcement that pissed both of us off. And if you were to ask, I, we talked about this a few weeks back, but if you were to we ask did. people. He was the first name I said. If you were to ask people, best journalist in baseball, Bavada odds, it's either going to be Passan, Verducci, Ooh. or Ken Rosenthal. I think those are the big three that are sort of in their own tier. Um, and Buster. I throw Buster in there as well. And if you want, and Kirchens there too. Kirchins yeah, I, I have Kirchens and Gammons as just part of a slightly older generation. Okay. Um, fair, but, you fair, know, fair. There's a reason they're both in the hall. Uh, and Rob Manfred has done a lot of despicable shit over these past few years. Um, but the fact that he got Ken Rosenthal fired from the MLB Network may be at the top of the list. Um, apparently, Manfred... Uh, Rosenthal obviously is a top newsbreaker, um, and Rob Manfred was not happy where over the summer 2020, Rosenthal kept criticizing Manfred uh, over how the, not lockout at the time, but how the CBA negotiations were being handled, as well as negotiations on money last year with COVID and getting the game restarted. Uh, first, Rosenthal was kept off the air for around three months as he wrote columns in 2020. Um, there was no stated suspension at the time, and it publicly went unnoticed. Again, he's also criticized him in The Athletic during his writings. Uh, Rosenthal's criticized Manfred. Uh, Rosenthal was still paid but was in a month-long penalty box. He did return to the trade deadline, which was pushed to August 31st that season uh, due to COVID-19. But Rosenthal, uh, age 59 now, will remain at Fox Sports and The Athletic. But he's out at MLB Network. And again, Chris Rose, Eric Burns, Ken Rosenthal. You're talking about guys who have been there. Since day one from the beginning, obviously Chris Rose and Burns, not got, they were not gotten rid of for the same reason, but I just don't know how you can have a network that covers the game of baseball and not have one of your most prominent and well-respected and loved journalists be a part of it. I, I will, I'll talk about it. The word I used to describe it, when you texted me the article, the word I used was tyranno. This is how a tyrant behaves. This is exactly like... But I'll, this is going to seem blown out of proportion, but trust me, it's not. This is how Kim Jong-il runs North Korea. This, if, you speak out, if you speak out negatively against the leader of the country, he suspends you and makes sure you cannot work. There isn't the same threat of certain death that there is, but it's the same vein. Manfred can't operate this way. This is, this is pathetic. And hopefully, I mean, if I'm ESPN or Fox, I guess he's already working on Fox. But, I mean, you, I would get Ken Rosenthal. I'd hire Ken Rosenthal on a heartbeat. He yeah, is the I, best in the business. I don't know if he could jump on the ESPN uh, only because I think Fox Sports and MLB Network worked in conjunction because it wasn't a network competitor. It was more MLB Network is for the game itself. But I, I'm with you. It, it's really a bad look on Manfred. And, and if we get to the point where – he just gets rid of journalists who criticize him. Like I think back now, I have to think Passan has criticized him before. Um, and if we're, I mean, I'm not sure what Ken did. It's. Sounds- I also, I'm. I've never gotten this confirmed. It, I think it was 2012. I went to uh, more. That was earlier. Maybe 2011. Yeah, it was no 2012, 2011. Uh, Morgan Hecker, friend, our friend Morgan Hecker. She sang somewhere in New York and. And my, I went with my mother and sister. And I'm pretty sure Ken Rosenthal was there and held the door open for me. He's very short. He's very tiny. He's probably wearing a bow tie, too, to support charity. Uh, specifically, Bryce, to answer your question, it sounds like this was mostly from the articles that Rosenthal wrote uh, criticizing how Manfred handled the pandemic last year. But, again, this could go back to as far as when you think of the athletic. I mean, they were the ones that broke the Astro scandal, which I'm sure – Manfred wasn't thrilled about it. I'm sure there was some criticism there, but if this gets to the point where, you know, we're left with stooges like a John Heyman who are just yes, man, or a, you know, a friend of the show, but you know, Bob Nightingale, there's a reason I've said over the past. Is Bob Nightingale years, a friend of the show? Yeah. I've had him on when I was in college. Uh, we could give Bob Nightingale a call. I got him in the contacts. Why don't we give him a call? He's not doing anything. But those are, but those are guys who, you know, will just report the basic facts and Ken does so much more than that. And instantaneously, well, Ken does what is the well, what what matters in 2022 is breaking news, breaking stories, and being first to get the story. That's the most important role across. When you think of NBA reporter, who do you think? I think Woj and Shams. You think Woj and Shams. When you think NFL, who are you thinking? I think of Schefter and uh... Schefter is fine. I was only thinking Schefter. I don't know if you're trying to. Go I think of Field Yates for some reason, but that's just because he post retweeted a funny stripper video once. 
Yeah, Phil Yates, Phil Yates is cool. His wife has an awesome name. I feel like we brought this up on the podcast before. His wife's got like a name like Duke or something. Duke Yates. Yeah, I just think with Rosenthal, this could be the start of a downward spiral for the MLB network. But, yeah, but the point is, it's um, no, he's the best in the business. He's the person. If you trade deadline, free agency news, he's the person's Twitter feed you're going to. You're going to check Ken Rosenthal tweets to see what's happening in baseball, and this is a bad look for Manfred. I got one more to guy, one more guy to add to the uh, Kirk Jim Gammons tier. Am I supposed to guess it? Jason Stark. Stark's different to me because Stark, Stark doesn't. I when Stark I think of straddles Stark, the line. Yeah. Um, and and Joel Sherman, I love Joel Sherman. Anyway, uh, Field Yates' wife is named Chapin Duke. It's a hell of a name. Field Yates um, and Chapin Duke. Oh my! I mean, they are probably the coolest couple ever. So this is a big sports media episode. We talked about Sunday Night Baseball. We talked about Ken Rosenthal being out. Uh, Ken Rosenthal's company, The Athletic, uh, they are purchased by the New York Times for $550 million this week. It is the latest move in the New York Times strategy to expand its audience of paying subscribers as the it's newspaper print and business fades. Um, the Athletic, it's interesting. I mean, they were basically established to take down print journalism like this um, and I guess on some level they got the Times attention because the $550 million acquisition is about half of what they paid for the Boston Globe in 1993. Uh, obviously, the Boston Globe is one of the biggest newspapers in the world. The Athletic has only been around since uh, 2016, but it has 1.2 million subscribers. Uh, they covers national and local sports, more than 200 teams. To me, for my money, if Jeff Passan started writing for The Athletic, if Jeff Passan and Sherman started writing for The Athletic, I wouldn't read content anywhere else. Uh, because between Rosenthal, um, Peter Gammons, you have Andy McCullough. Oh, my God. Who's the Yankee guy I love? Um, I let you think about it. Regardless, but I'll I circle back. All these journalists, uh, it's incredible. And all I can hope now is the New York Times has said that they're going to let The Athletic operate as its own entity still, uh, as a subsidiary of The New York Times. And I really hope that's the case because The Athletic – it just doesn't get any better when it comes to sports journalism. So I was surprised to see this, but good for them for cashing out. That's good. No, good. I'm happy because now I you do the New York Times mini crossword puzzle every day. So you're thinking way more sports now. Well, I'm thinking now I'm going to get – now I'm just going to pay up so I can do the big boy, enter the big leagues. Bryce Holden's going to start doing crosswords on the daily, full-size, grown-up, no biggie, whatever. And there's certain word games. I like speaking of have you been playing this new word game? Everybody plays Wordle. I have not. Yeah, I am upset. I love word games. I can play word games for hours on end. And now I'm gonna get this New York Times subscription. I'm gonna have so much more sports. I'm gonna have so many more crossword puzzles and word games. Everything's coming up fresh, man. Mark Carrig. Mark Carrig was the writer whose name I couldn't think of before, but great baseball writer. And yeah, congratulations to the athletic. And look, in my mind, hopefully this just means they can keep adding incredible journalists because it's unbelievable as it is. When, when I say the athletic is the best $60 I spend every year, I say that with no hesitation, $5 a month. This is a shameless plug for the athletic. The New York times bought it. You should buy it too. Best sports content out there. Uh, and my last piece of sports media news and I'm looking to see if I, yep, yeah, I got it in the notes. A couple months back, I talked about how Fanatics, and most of you know Fanatics as a great way to get sports apparel, team equipment, et cetera. Uh, they're a huge, huge website owned by um, Jared Rubin, who, or excuse me, Michael Rubin, who is the uh, owner of the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, we talked about his partner last week, too, who bought into the Guardians. Do you remember his name? No. All right, regardless, um, so a huge conglomerate, and Fanatics acquired the rights to produce baseball cards from Major League Baseball a couple months back, and immediately the Bavada odds that top survived uh, were pretty slim because Fanatics had acquired the baseball, basketball, and football rights for the coming years. So rather than run tops out of business, Fanatics acquired tops for $500 million. Uh, uh, Chase, David Blitzer. David Blitzer, thank you. Uh, the deal includes Topps collectible arms, both physical and digital. Uh, and it sounds like basically going forward, all 350 global Topps and sports sports and entertainment employees will just shift seamlessly into the Fanatics trading cards. Uh, and it basically just seems like Fanatics is going to let Topps do their thing 
Um, but they are going to be the one who oversee and own everything. Again, Tox has been making cards for 60 plus years and fanatics now could start designing baseball cards immediately. They weren't originally supposed to get the rights until 2026. Uh, now that they have tops into the fold, they could get going. Uh, and when all is said and done by 2025, they'll have basketball, football, Formula One, UEFA, MLS, and Bundesliga cards. Uh, so Fanatics is absolutely crushing it. And I'm sure you don't give a shit about this, but you know, I'm I do not. You know, I am interested in baseball cards. Um, I think the one cool thing that, yeah, you still won't appreciate it, but there have not been tops basketball or football cards in years. And those used to be the best designs. Uh, and we're going to get that again soon because it's all under one roof. So credit to Fanatics. I'm definitely not into cards. I'm actually, Chase, if you can guess the, uh, the, the I'm holding a tops football card in my hand right now. It's a throwback. If you can guess it, I'll give you three questions. Ricky Williams. No, but he has something in common with Ricky Williams. Okay, so he won a Heisman or he got busted for smoking weed. Sean Merriman. It was the Heisman. Okay, you are holding a card of Eric Couch. No. Who is it? Andre Ware. Andre Ware. Good quarterback. For- oh, you know why I bought this card? I, th- I was with you when we bought it. We, we bought it up in Cooperstown. I think it's from the 91 pack, and there was an outside shot of a Favre rookie. Not in Cooperstown. We bought it on the way up to camp in um- – Yes, yes, on Eli's birthday. Yeah, what was the town? Um, yeah, we bought it in Mahopak, New York. So yeah, it's great to see that everything's going to be under one window. And when I think of fanatics making all these deals, uh, I really hope this blitzer guy becomes the owner of the guardians in the next couple of years. Cause his business is crushing it. And anytime we could get somebody with the last name Dolan out of sports, I am absolutely all for it. Well, here would be my concern coming out of from a, uh, somebody with a sports law concentration. I wonder if Fanatics ends up getting a monopoly on sports memorabilia that gets contested by the Supreme Court. I don't think it will because Upper Deck still has hockey. Panini still has soccer. There's there's enough that I think Fanatics will deliberately, because Tops was in a similar boat for a while, I think there will be Fanatics will deliberately not own certain things to avoid that. Because if you have football, basketball, and baseball and a good, a good amount of soccer – you have the bread and butter anyway. There's no need to run yourself into potential trouble. But I think that's a good point. I think this is good podcasting right here. I I get my, everyone gets their we're getting our strengths out. Oh man, this is good. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. Let's move on to podcasting as well. Uh, I, we like to give a shout out to societal progress, especially when it pertains. Yeah, to we do. I don't so, even know what this is going to. We, so we got we got two shout outs. Uh, the first is to the New York Yankees. Uh, they've had a very quiet offseason, but big shout out to him, Tier. Uh, Rachel Balkovich, who joined the Yankees as a minor league hitting coach in 2019, will serve as the manager next year for the low A Tampa Tarpons next season. Uh, and it is, she's the first female manager in professional organized baseball. That's pretty cool. No, that's cool. That's a big step. Uh, I, I, be, I mean, is it, a, is it safe? I don't know anything else about her, but. I haven't, read the, I haven't read the article on The Athletic yet. I'll have more updates next week. Uh, and shout out to Australia as a nation. Uh, Genevieve Beacom made history Friday night when she took the mound for the Melbourne Aces, becoming the first woman to pitch in the Australian Baseball League. A 17-year-old left-hander who threw a scoreless sixth inning for the Aces in its Melbourne Challenge Series game against the Adelaide Giants with an impressive fastball curveball mix. Uh, and again, this league has featured dozens of future MLB players, including Ronald Cooney Jr., Liam Hendricks, Didi, Kevin Kiermeyer, G-Man Choi, Reese Hoskins, et cetera. Uh, so shout out to Genevieve. I mean, that's. You shout out to Genevieve. No question. And my first thought when I saw this was. Did you watch her pitch? She's got great stuff. And she's 17 yeah. years old. So she's only going to get Dude, better. I think I, in our, we're not going to go our whole lifetime without seeing a woman play. Somebody on Twitter saw this and said by 2030. I think that's a stretch, but I think in our lifetime it will. And I think baseball is the sport that it makes the most sense. Yes. I don't think you could put a woman in a sport just strictly from a size perspective. Like I just don't think size, any sort of contact sport, it just doesn't make physical sense to have a smaller person out there, but you can throw a woman on the mound if she's got the stuff to do it. 
Well, I think it's got to start at the high school and college level because you look no further than Little League World Series phenom Monet Davis. She was incredible. She was better than most of the boys, but she wound up playing college softball because that was her ticket to getting an education. Uh, so I think it has. Did she not end up at UConn for hoops? No, I think she's playing baseball at Hampton or softball at Hampton. She's over in Hampton. Hampton, I believe. Uh, wow. So yeah, I, I think it will happen. I don't think it'll happen by twenty thirty, but no. I, I think we're due. I agree with you there. I think it's gonna. Yeah, she is at Hampton. Some news about two former Yankees, uh, one of whom hung it up, and that is Cameron Mabin. Uh, he retired after uh, a pretty solid 15-year big league career with 10 different clubs from 27 to 20, 2007 to 2021, uh, 34 years old, again, 15 major league seasons. Uh, he spent the bulk of that time, four seasons apiece with the Padres uh, and the Marlins. Mabin way back. I don't think he spent the bulk of that time, eh? Well, it's a relative statement when you play for that many <laughs> Relatively. Yeah. Uh, Maven was a first round pick in 2005. So like the 10th overall by the Detroit Tigers, 19 years old. Uh, he was ranked amongst the top 10 prospects in the game from 2007 to 2009. Uh, he made his major league debut for the Tigers in 2007 and then was a big part of a franchise altering trade uh, where Maven and Andrew Miller and others were sent to the Marlins for Miggy and Dogtrell Willis. Uh, Maven had irregular playing time, but continued minor league dominance and then was traded from the Tigers or excuse me, from the Marlins to the Padres to be their center fielder of the future uh, for Ryan Webb and Edward Mojica. Before I get to the rest of Maven's career, that really was a decade-shaping trade because Miggy's going to go into yeah. the Tiger, triple crown, yeah. the 2012 pennant, uh, and Andrew Miller and Maven both had solid careers, but certainly not for the Marlins. No. Um, I was in France for the Miguel Cabrera trade. Do you remember that well? Who Was it? Was it like Mar the Tigers came out of nowhere and got him, or were there other teams rumored in on this? No, I think it was ultimately they offered two top ten prospects, and that's why they got the haul they got. Thank God, D Train just fell off the rails. The D Train definitely fell off the rails in Detroit, but I think Mickey more than made up for it. Yes, I so mean, even though it's not looking so good right now, but he's still he's actually aging better than. I mean, we love him, but God, he's aging better than the machine. Yeah, I got a tweet on Pujols coming up in that regard. Yeah, I mean, look, the Miggy contract is what it is. It was so good when it was good that you, you get rid of the bad. And if nothing else, now that the Tigers are about to take a step forward in their rebuild, having him as a veteran presence, I think, makes it worthwhile. Um, and it's not well, like – Well, I think he's – I actually think Miggy – It's not like Miggy's blocking anybody right now. That too. And I think he's the best mentor you could have for Javi Baez. Yeah, teach him how to be a leader and carry the torch into the future. And teach him how to not swing at balls that bounce in front of the plate. Yeah, that's probably more important than the leadership. Uh, and his first year in San Diego, Maven had a 40-steal, 103 OPS season, OPS plus season. That resulted in a five-year, $25 million extension before 2012. Uh, he was then traded yet again um, in order to for the Padres to acquire Craig Kimbrell. Uh, Maven was sent to the Braves, and after a year in Atlanta, he bounced around between eight teams, providing clubs with speed, uh, modest offense in the outfield and off the bench. All told for his career, 254, 323, 374 hitter with 187 steals. Uh, we liked him for the Yankees. I mean, 2019, that was probably his best offensive stretch. 285, 364, 494, 127 OPS plus in 82 games for the Yankees. Very solid, big league career, beloved in clubhouses, and a guy who I've actually already heard uh, the Yes Network may bring in now that Coney's doing fewer games. Uh, any Cameron Maven memories? For me, it's just he was such a spark plug and a leader on that 2019 Yankees team um, and just played everywhere. That's my big takeaway. He played everywhere and was beloved everywhere. No, but now I'm trying to do some quick research on it. Wikipedia, if you could make an all-star – or not an all-star team, but – just of the guys traded for Cameron Mabin, if they made their own roster. I want you to have that whole list prepared for next week. Okay. That's what we're going to open the show with. <laughs> and we'll see. Let me, I'm going to write, where are my goddamn post-it notes? Well, I, got, yeah. I got, I got mine right next to me. Uh, so Cameron yeah. Mabin, one former Yankee retired. And you and I, when Eric Chavez was announced as a Yankees, assistant, we were very excited. Um, and the Bavada odds were shaping up that Eric Chavez, based on how Aaron Boone talked about him, was going to be a big part of the Yankees for years to come. You even threw out a guy who would be looking over Boone's shoulder, maybe replace him one day. Uh, and that is not going to be the case because Eric Chavez. Still might be the case. Still might be the case, but for the short time, for the time being, he's going across the river. 
and he is the new hitting coach of the New York Mets. Uh, the Yankees gave him permission to interview. Obviously, he was only going to be our assistant hitting coach. So this was a step up for him. Uh, the Mets offense last year severely underachieved. They're 27th in the majors and runs per game. They fired Chili Davis a couple weeks into the season. Chavez has a close relationship with Mets GM Billy Epler since last decade. Uh, Epler helped them pro progress as a young Yankees executive. And when Epler was GM of the Angels, he brought Chavez with him as a special assistant. Uh, he interviewed Chavez for the team's managerial vacancy following the 2018 season. Chavez also uh, managed in the Angel system. Uh, this is a bummer for me, though. I mean, it's a bummer because the Mets poached him, but I was really looking forward to having Eric Chavez as part of the Yankees. I think he's a future big league manager, as do you. Uh, and all in all, a great hire for Buck Showalter, you know, between Chavez, uh, Wayne Kirby, Joey Cora. All of a sudden, they uh, Buck's building a good staff over there. Did I say this on the podcast or was I just talking? It was just you and I talking. Mets are going to be my pick to come out of the NL this year. I think I texted that to you. You might have said it live as well. I'm going to repeat it and double down on it. I think Chavez is a great fit there. And now, for his sake, he will be a manager one day. And now that he's getting dugout experience with Buck Showalter, that's a great mentor to have. I was going to say, this This was in so many ways a step up for Chavez And that not only do you get the hitting coach job, but you get to learn under a real potential Hall of Fame manager. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if in a couple of years, as long as Chavez doesn't screw them up and they achieve, he could be the next manager of the Mets. If Buck gets a ring, I mean, my guess is Buck, I got the Mets losing the World Series this year to the Astros. I pick the Astros to win the World Series every year now. Uh, but Buck Dunstan would manage of the year in those four. So when Buck and the Mets, Buck rides off in the sunset 2024, manager of the year, World Series 2025, Chavez era. So to recap the Yankees offseason, we brought Boone back. We made no moves in it. Was there anything? <laughs> So we brought Boone back. Uh, our only move was Jolie Rodriguez and what was a historic spending for your free agents before the lockout. Uh, we let Eric Chavez go uh, to, to become hitting coach of the Mets. And Koji Urahara, who, if you remember, relief pitcher for the Red Sox, got the last out of the 2013 World Series. Uh, Koji Urahara interviewed Sia Suzuki, uh, who, again, big free agent on the market last year. Um, and Koji said to him, you're going to Boston, right? And his Suzuki's response was, uh, I qu can't quite disclose that yet. Uh, so a lot of people think that based on that non-candid response, Suzuki may be going to the Red Sox. Are we ever going to get good news as a Yankee fan? Uh, well, we lost Cone to some game Sunday games. Yeah, and we lost Cone in the booth. We did, we got Luis Rojas to coach third. And Ken Singleton and Ken Singleton retired. I mean, what an absolutely terrible start to the offseason. Uh, I'm trying to think what else the Yanks did that sucked. Um, They didn't raise my season ticket prices, which is good. That's cool. Um, I mean, Suzuki is, would be such a good fit in Boston because he will just smack balls off the monster. And then JBJ just becomes a highly paid fourth outfielder, which I think is ideal for them. I mean, just what in the world is going on with New York sports? Even though, oh, well, there is, there is some good news for Yankees fans, from New York at least. Uh, Bovada and all other sports books have now opened legal betting in New York. And NYFC won the championship in the MLS a couple weeks back. That was big for the Yankees, I guess. <laughs> it was good for the Yankees from a business standpoint. Uh, you're a Yankees season ticket holder. What does that mean for you? Absolutely nothing. I couldn't mean less of it. Even though I did watch the uh, the shootout for that. If anything, well, if anything, it means I'm going to be frustrated or I'm going to be frustrated more frequently when I show up at Yankee games and I could see a fucking soccer field outline in the outfield. This is fucking Yankee stadium. We're talking about it's supposed to be the cathedral of baseball. So far we, we won. So far we won I, one world series in the first year and I haven't done shit since we didn't talk about this when it happened. And I'm going to, you said Yankee stadium. So when you think of Yankee stadium, that's an iconic sporting venue in this country. Correct. Yes. Some other ones that come to mind, Fenway Park, Wrigley. Wrigley Field, Madison Square Garden. What is now the – what do you think about the Staples Center renamed to Crypto.com Arena? 
I haven't gotten your thoughts as an LA. Guy. I think it's I think it's one of those things to be honest with you. Um, when I would compare it to, you know, I have family in Cleveland, and for years and years, Cleveland was Jacob's Jacob Field. Um, and, and I think it's just going to be one of those where, yeah, now it might be called Progressive Stadium, but everyone's going to say, oh, are you going to the Jake? And I think it'll be the same thing. It might be called Crypto.com Stadium, but everyone's going to say, oh, are you going to the Staples Center? Well, I think what this, what Staples did, the Staples Center transcended the naming rights. It, when you thought of Staples Center, it t- I probably took me until I was 15 years old to realize that was the same Staples that I was going to get my school supplies from. I'm playing with a paperclip from Staples right now. Like, so they had an absolutely fantastic run, and uh, kudos to Staples. And you know what? I get a $25 supply budget a month at my office to show my support in Staples. I'm going to buy those post-it notes this week. I'm going to buy $25 worth of post-it notes. That's going to be a lot of post-it notes. We're going to have a post-it party next week. <laughs> I think for my trip to South Dakota, I might wear nothing but post-it notes. That'll be a good look when you descend Mount Rushmore. Uh, I have a couple <laughs> tweets and then a couple fun articles that we're going to talk about. Uh, the first is from Super 70 Sports. Starling Marte led the majors last year with 47 steals. In 1982, Ricky Henderson had 49 steals before May was over. Unbelievable. Run, Ricky, run. I'm still laughing at the idea of someone dressing in all post-it notes. <laughs> think about it. Post-it notes aren't clothes. No, not at all. <laughs> Uh, this is my weekly get Billy Wagner in the Hall of Fame tweet. Uh, this is from Jeremy Frank. And I'm not saying Billy Wagner is better than Mariano Rivera. You know me. I'm a Yankee fan. I think Mariano Rivera is one of the greatest athletes of all time. He transcended sports. Uh, but when you compare Mariano and Billy Wagner's career slash line uh, by opponents, Wagner had a lower average. They had the same on base. And the slugging percentage was 0.03% uh, part. Mo 293, Wagner 296. Wagner had a 10% higher strikeout rate uh, and only a 2% higher walk rate. Again, Mariano Rivera is the greatest closer of all time, but I really do think Billy Wagner deserves a much longer look than he's getting. That's the point of that tweet. Nothing else. I mean, that's not like a terribly incorrect take. I just think it's, I'd have to go really deep on closers to see what they have, what it takes to get in. It's really, really hard for closers. Yeah. Look, I think, I think, Wagner should get in. And honestly, next year when we're talking about it, I have to see who is still on the ballot, but I'll probably say K-Rod should get in. I will say K-Rod too. And my, I don't have a ballot, but my ballot's going to clear up a lot with Bonds, Clemens. To me, if you clear 400 saves, you're a Hall of Famer. Unless I would, I, my thing with Wagner is, is he doesn't have a Hall of Fame moment to me. I can't, K-Rod is setting the save record. And, and K-Rod uh, set the and our two World Series. Game. Yeah. Like, that's, the second one was? What? Who's the second? Oh, the O2 World Series. I thought you said N2 World Series. No, yeah, the O2 World Series. And he set the record. I mean, that plus the, that peak he had, he, he gets my vote. So sometimes. Wagner doesn't have that. That's okay. So sometimes, you know, when you and I are feeling very high and happy, which I would say we are right now, um, I need to level the playing field and do something that's going to cause us pain. Um, Who so, else I, said? so I saw this tweet. Um, it's from Yankee writer Max Goodman, not our friend Max Goodman, completely different. This is Max T. Goodman. And it Chris was Max Goodman's very bad. And it was a look at the top 15 Yankee prospects from 2013. Oh, I saw that. So we're talking nine years at this point, And the implication is, you know, top 15 from nine years, you would think two to four of those guys, conservatively speaking, contributed for your big league club. You'd hope. All right, so here's the list. Ready? Oh, boy. Gary's number one, and Gary is by far the best contributor of this list, which should tell you all you need to know. Two, you had Mason Williams injured. Three, Tyler Austin. It was sick when he fought Joe Kelly, um, but now he's playing in Japan. Sleeve Heath got bust. Manny Banuelos actually just signed a minor league deal with the Yankees at age 30. Did nothing. Ty Hensley, bust. Uh, Angelo Gums, never even heard of him. Mark Montgomery, bust. Dante Bichette Jr., not his dad, not his brother, bust. Zoyo Almonte, bust. Uh, then you have Ramon Flores, Vincent Campos, uh, not Jose Ramirez of the Guardians, different Jose Ramirez, Nick Turley, and Brian B.J. Mitchell, uh, who we traded, I believe, for Martin Prado to the Marlins. Just terrible. I did the Cameron Maven research. It's not enough. Okay. Like, I know we were a couple years away from, like, Judge, Glaber, et cetera, but how do you go one for 15? And even that one is a generous one. No, it's it's a one. 
Gary's been a real contributor for this team. Gary, I mean, Gary's a power hitting catcher uh, that probably shouldn't be catching. But, I mean, even if he doesn't catch, it's just his power. You probably don't want him as the crown jewel of your prospect class, but he's overwhelmingly the crown jewel there. That's the problem. All right. He bats 200. Then I got one last few, one last fun tweet, and then a few random articles that I want to go through. It'll be quick. When Albert Pujols left the Cardinals, the Bavada odds of him being a career 300 hitter were almost. Oh, like I that. saw this one. Chase, we're this almost one hurt a thousand percent. Uh, Albert Pujols could have gone over 598 when he left St. Louis and still had a career average of 300. So for context, that's playing a full season of the big leagues and not getting a hit once. Um, and it's certainly not a knock on him, but he's now a 297 career hitter. I think it's kind of a knock on him, Chase. I've got to disagree with you there. I don't know how it's not a knock on him. So I have an article coming up from MLB.com this week, the strangest trades in MLB history. Uh, but the first one I got to start with is the one of the most infamous on January 5th this past This week, is an article you told me not to open. Yeah, I didn't want you to open any of them because I'm going to ask you rude questions about them. Uh, but 102 years ago this past week, Babe Ruth was sold to the Yankees for $125,000. And I, I want to ask you this. I'm pretty comfortable saying that there's no move that changed the trajectory of baseball more than this. This turned the Yankees into the Yankees. The Red Sox didn't win a World Series for 86 years. Is it fair to say that this is the most influential transaction in the history of sports, or am I a little too attached to it? Um, I can say confidently, well. And I don't mean draft pick, because the draft, it's like if you hit on a draft pick, good for you. I'm talking trade transaction. In U.S. sports, it's the most influential trade. Uh, The other one that I would consider is recently – uh, LeBron signing with the Heat is actually going to get buried in the NBA annals. But what that did changed everything. for that league changed everything. And I think those teams are now criminally underrated. Like, no one talks about the Heatles anymore. The Heatles were unbelievable. Four for four made it to the championship. Yeah, you know what the problem is? They blew it to Dirk the first year. Um, and then got the, worked, by, and then got worked by Kawhi and the Spurs big three. But yeah, and they I mean, weren't as good as those Golden State teams. So shout out, shout out to uh, Harry Freeze, the owner of the Reds, or Harry Fraze, excuse me, uh, the owner of the Boston Red Sox, who wanted to finance a play and gave the Yankees Babe Ruth. Um, you're probably my favorite owner in baseball history because of that. Well, it's an interesting 125, but that's an interesting number because Ben Reitman tried to sell his, when he was on the verge of selling his Red Sox season tickets, the number he asked for was 125,000. They mentioned that in the movie. Yeah, and then Al Waterman, who sells sponges, says, I hope you have a stroke. <laughs> it's a great movie. All right. Such a bummer that the Red Sox have to win the World Series at the end of it. Yeah, but it made for a much better ending. Meanwhile, we got to watch the original Fever Pitch that is about the soccer. soccer. Yeah, but I thought it was just like a random movie. Colin Firth is a star. We're talking about a multi-time Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning actor. I'm not as well-versed in movies as you. Colin Firth is in Kingsman, right? Yes, not Colin Farrell, Colin Firth. He, he, won, the he won the Oscar for the King's Speech, if you've seen that. Ooh, I have not. I like the King's Are you going to – there's a new King's Speech. I'm, I'm not going to see it. It got bad reviews. <sighs> that's such a bummer. Bad prequel. Um, all right, so that's a transition for some of the strangest trades in baseball history. Um, and I just wanted your reaction live, so that's why I didn't want you to read it. Uh, Hall of Fame pitcher Lefty Grove. Um, he was traded for a fence. Who painted it? Tom Sawyer? He was sold to the Baltimore Orioles of the International League in June 1920 for the sum of 3500 the cost to replace the team's outfield fence. I mean, look, the, the Ruth one is – the Ruth one I don't like because that's the finance and non-baseball-related activity. I mean, you cannot host professional sporting events with uh, within the stadium that has a hole in the wall. That's asinine. In 1994, during right before the strike, uh, Dave Winfield was traded um, for the Twins to the Indians. The club was supposed to get a player to be named later, but because of the strike, that never happened. So to settle things, the Indians executives took the Twins executives out for a nice dinner. So Hall of Famer Dave Winfield was traded for a couple steaks. Now that was... 
you call him, he is a Hall of Famer. And he's another very underrated Hall of Famer. You know what else? You know, I'm going to give Dave Winfield some love here. How good was Dave Winfield, the college basketball player? I mean, Dave Winfield's one of the most unspoken about athletes of all time. He was first team Big Ten at Minnesota, led the Big Ten in rebounding, got drafted by three team, by four teams in three different sports. The Vikings drafted him. Uh, the Clippers in the ABA drafted him. I forget what NBA team drafted him. And obviously the Padres took him in the first round, so he played baseball. So very good is the answer. That's my long-winded answer. But, uh, so I guess my point was going to be the couple of stakes at that point in Winfield's career probably used out. Johnny Jones in 1930 was traded for a 25-pound turkey. What year? 1930. I mean, I don't know how much turkeys were going for. I'm pretty sure this is coming out of – this is right before the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression really started to hit. So that may have actually been a – yeah, I probably would rather the turkey. Um, in 1996, 25 pounds is a lot of meat. In 1996, the Braves signed, um, what is his name? Kerry Lindenberg out of the Independent Prairie League. Uh, and in return, they were given 12 dozen baseballs and two dozen bats. Well, you know how expensive baseballs are. They're not as expensive as those, uh, those pink bouncy balls. They should have really uh, gone for the pink bouncy balls. Joe Martina in 1921 got the nickname Oyster Joe when he was traded for two barrels of oysters. Not only are – I'm not a huge oyster fan, but they are an aphrodisiac. So some owner was feeling extra horny that day. The last one that I will say here is um, Cy Young. Yes, that's Cy Young, the Hall of Fame pitcher where the award – whom the award for the best pitcher in each league is named after. Um, He was traded for a suit. A suit or a soup? A suit. Selfish, selfish, selfish. Unbelievable. So those are some of the strangest trades in baseball history. Uh, And we're going to transition from strange trades to some of the strangest ballpark features in baseball history, because I figured you would get a quirk out of some of these. Uh, The first one they have, and this is at the old, old Yankee Stadium. Isn't it crazy to think that the stone monuments from Monument Park literally used to be in center field? Yeah, no, I like that. I like that as a concept. Seems dangerous. To me, one of the biggest things that I miss about Minute Maid Park, yeah, is is the hill and the hill in center field. It was such great in real life. It was the ultimate adventure out there. It was so impractical, but it made no sense. I'm not sure who thought it was a good idea, but I'm happy someone did it at one point. So the next one they have on here is the Baker Bowl, which was home to the Phillies from 1887 to 1938. Had a time had a distance of only 280 to right field because the Phillies couldn't build the park further uh, with railroads and other businesses in, in the way. So they put up a 60-foot wall in right field. Puts the green monster to shame. Yeah, 280 short. I feel like you and I could go 280 if we really got into one. So the uh, – yeah, so the Washington Senators, when they built Griffith Stadium uh, in 1911 – there were five homeowners who wouldn't sell their land to the team, so they had to build the center field wall around them. Yeah, okay. I don't really know. How, I can't even visualize that. There was just a lot of weird angles, it sounds like. Um, <laughs> wouldn't it have been interesting if we had gone to the polo? So it's interesting. The polo grounds were 483 to center, but when Braves Field was originally constructed in 1915, could you imagine having a center field that is – 520 to right center. Well, one of these days, my boss is going to come on the show, surprise, and he's going to articulate his ways to improve the game. One of them is bonus points for 500 foot homes. I'm all for it. It's like in uh, the bigs on Xbox. Yeah. And the last but certainly not least is the old Metro Dome. The roof was like a balloon supported by positive air pressure. So during the harsh winter when it would deflate, Balls would hit off the roof. And the craziest thing that I didn't even know about this was you would have to play it off the wall. So like if a pop fly hit the wall and then you caught it, it was an out. I mean, what's the old dodgeball rule? Live off the ceiling, not off the wall? That I don't recall offhand, but yeah, that sounds correct. I haven't played, I guess I played dodgeball this summer. God, I love dodgeball. The. <laughs> It's a great sport. It's a great movie. It's a great way to build character. 
Uh, and these guys I'm going to mention on this last list had a it ton of also is a great way to really fuck up your elbow. Uh, and a, probably a great way to encourage bullying now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, but when you talk about guys that have high character, this is a list of players whose MLB careers span four decades. Um, so before I get to that list, uh, and again, it just means they had to play one year in, in a given decade. You know, going forward, what? how many players do you think we will see of this going forward, if any? That'll be pit. I mean, look, it's, it's typically pitchers. Uh, I mean, you you just kind of have to time it right. You got to start at an eight or a nine and then retire at a one or a two. So of recent note, I mean, 70s, 2000s. Did Troy Hawkins get there? He did not. 70s to 2000s, you had Ricky Henderson, Mike Morgan, Jesse Orozco, Tim Raines. 60s to 90s, you had Buckner, Rick Dempsey, Carlton Fisk, Jerry Reese, uh, Nolan Ryan. 50s to 80s, you had Jim Cott, Tim McCarver, Willie McCovey. 40s to 80s, uh, Minnie Minoso. 40s to 70s, Willie Mays. 20 to 60, Satchel Page, 30 to 60s, Ted Williams, early win. Eddie Collins, Hall of Famers in their way back. But there's three guys who lasted from the 80s to the 2010s. Can you name those three players? The 80s to the 10s. The 80s to the 10s. My Jamie Bavada, Boyer. Okay, I was going to say, my Bavada odds have you guessing two of the three, and you already guessed one, so you're crushing it. Well, I, know, I know Jamie Moyer. I think Griffey was drafted in 89. Griffey is one of them, Griffey. made his debut, drafted in 87, debut in 89, and he just gets an 89 in 2010. And who's yeah, the last one? Uh, well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who the hell could it be? I'm gonna have to guess. I'm feeling a catcher, but I don't know any catchers offhand. So I am going to – I'm going to have to guess a name because there's no point in not guessing. I'll stumble around, buy myself some time. Well, All right, final please. answer is? Sosa. But I think he retired too early. Omar Vizquel. Oh, yeah, no, we don't talk about Omar Vizquel. I'm 89 to 2012. Uh, and to wrap this show up, one last poll – uh, this was a general ESPN poll of what was the best team that you've seen that didn't win a championship. Uh, so I'm going to throw it out to baseball. What is the best team that you think we've seen that did not win a championship? Uh, I actually looked and wrote down some of the hundred win teams I, of the past. I, I actually, I looked, I looked at that list. I hope that's okay. You didn't tell me not to look. You told me to read the notes, just not open. Okay. I would agree. Well, which one, one, do you, one? Which one is your answer? 2011 Phillies. I have to agree. I just think that rota- – I mean, what was the weakness of that team? They had everything you want in a baseball team. They had stars all over the infield, stars in the outfield. They had the best rotation – on paper, the best rotation we've seen. Um, I mean, coming off, they had playoff experience, award winners on the team, a manager that done it before. They had that same core of the World Series team a few years earlier, which is why my second pick would be the 2019 Astros. Because yeah. they're the core of the winners, but they added Garrett Cole. Yeah, so, I mean, I have that 2019 Astros pulled up. That would be my AL pick. 2011 uh, would be my NL pick. 2011 Phillies. I mean, that 2019 Astros team. I mean, Gurriel, Tuve, Correa, Bregman, first year with Brantley. Jordan Alvarez has an unbelievable rookie year. Uh, and Verlander and Cole that year were just overwhelmingly the two best pitchers in baseball. They got Greggy at the deadline. I mean, that was such a good one, two, three. Wade Miley was a good four. The bullpen was good. Uh, they ultimately blew it. But, yeah, I would go the 2019 Astros or the 2011 Phillies. Uh, I think the 2011 Phillies rotation is equally as historic, though, with uh, Hamels, Oldswall, Cliff Lee, and Roy Holiday. I agree. I, that's why they were my pick. Any concluding thoughts for this week's podcast? We got through most of them. Get flu shots. Get vaccinated. Um, um, anything else of note? Anything else of note? Yeah, donut. It's cold out. So if you're gonna try that post-it note experiment at a at a college party or uh, just going out for an out of town, yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm all for it, but for your own health, do it when it's warmer. My last thought is going to be Rob and Tony Clark get to the negotiating table. 
The Giants season is mercifully over. The Knicks suck again. I really need baseball back in my life. I have no purpose on social media anymore. I have nothing to tweet about. I have nothing to read about even because it's just the same goofy MLB.com articles that we talk about every week. Get to the table. You got to start somewhere. Let's get this going. And by the grace of God, let's let baseball start on time. It would make us so, so happy. I'm not personally optimistic, but crazier shit happened, man. It's 2022. It's a new year. Maybe it's a new mentality from Manfred and Tony Clark. With Bryce Holden, my name is Chase Minorski. This is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. Have a great week.